Storm Bowling Products, the bowler's company, presents the Collegiate Spotlight with Coach K. Storm's technical director, Steve Klimkin, also known as Coach K, and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce you to a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us today on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight is Nick Hoagland. Nick graduated from Indiana University back in 2000. Right after that, he became the lane maintenance director for the PBA Tour back from 2001 to 2005. Nick was also responsible for designing and the implementation of the original PBA animal patterns, as well as U.S. Open and Tournament of Champions patterns and the PBA World Championship back in 2001. Nick also won an eagle in Reno as your singles champion back then. So, uh, Nick, having you on right now, though, I want to talk about your collegiate time, but also... You are, were just named by Chad Murphy as uh, USBC, that is, to direct lane pattern development for the USBC. So, Nick, I want to thank you for joining myself and Coach K, Steve Klemkin here. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, Nick. Well, let's begin. Let's go back to your college time back uh, when you were at Indiana uh, Bowling uh, as a Hoosier, you know, looking up some of your teammates, you know, Jeff Clark, uh, Greg Harris, uh, Jim Hale, and, uh, and Jack Laffey. Uh, talk about what was so fun about bowling with those guys and what were some of your more memorable moments uh, back bowling in college? Sure. Um, uh, I think that the great thing about college bowling is that we were our own little fraternity. Um, you know, our, our frat house was the, the INU bowling lanes on campus. And, uh, you know, we would bowl together. We would study at the table together. We played pinball together. Uh, we did everything together. The, the group of guys you mentioned, also guys like Lee Johnson, um, was also very instrumental in our college teams. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the great things, it's not so much a college story as is a story now is, um, you know, I work at a company called Backhaul Direct, and um, Greg Harris, who you mentioned, owns that company. And uh, Lee Johnson worked for the company, and Jim Hale worked for the company, and Jack Laffey and Jeff Clark and myself all work at the company. So I've been able to keep these friendships um, for almost 20 years now um, that started with bowling in college. And I think that's, uh, that's something that's really neat and, and unique and so glad that, it, that I was able to experience it. You're 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 kind of like the I'm almost sounds like the other bowlers company because that's what we kind you know at Storm we kind of pride ourselves on that like a company of bowlers but sounds like we probably wouldn't want to take you guys on in a match <laughs> with, with that kind of talent it's pretty pretty solid. You know it's funny that this is probably several years ago and was it was actually printed in the in the Bowlers Journal or, or Bowling Industry one of the two is we toyed about having an idea um, that the Backhaul Direct team would take on any of the other teams. So you pick it, you know, your storm team or uh, runs with whoever but the team, right? USBC would have a team and it would be a match for charity. Um, never, never quite got that pulled off. But uh, if you took an inventory of great talent working at companies, uh, you could you could clearly have a, a great match. And that's not to say it couldn't still happen, though, because I think that's a great idea. Maybe we, we might need to look at that. <laughs> hey, you won the uh, you won the rookie of the year and player of the year honors there. At Indiana, what do you what do you think uh, helped you uh, achieve those titles? You know, success uh, as an individual is one thing, but you know, succeeding as a team together with that that team title. What was the the biggest key uh, there to you guys? Uh, yeah, that's uh, being able question. to beat so many other great teams. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I figured out pretty quick that um, you know in team bowling, 
um, you're just one guy. You know, you're 20% of the score, which is a failing grade in anything you do metrically. And you better get the other guys uh, to, to figure out what you're doing, and how you're playing the lanes, and what ball you're using. Because if, if they're struggling, you're not going to win. And this is way before, you know, the, the days of, of putting 500 on balls and breaking pairs down. Right? We're just talking, this is late 90s. We're talking about just getting up there and throwing the rock and figuring out uh, what the lane's doing. And so I figured out that I needed to coach the guys while I was bowling, even when I was a sophomore um, and junior. But what that did was it opened up these communication channels, and Steve can attest to this. Um, you know, once we figured out that if we were honest and transparent about every single shot that we threw, and just said, hey, man, I really threw that ball bad. Uh, it would provide an opportunity then for the next guy not to make a mistake, right? If, if we're making moves off bad shots, we're going to struggle. But we found out that through communication, um, you know, we just ended up bowling better because we didn't make those those mistakes that the lane would cause us. And uh, that was a huge, um, a huge reason why we were successful. Yeah, so you were in school, like you said, 1996-2000. You graduated from Indiana. Go out your first, uh, you know, USBC Open Championships boom in 2001. You have to think, wow, I, I'm barely out of school and I win an Eagle. This is going I'm going to be getting these. You know, they're going to be delivering those Eagles every other, uh, every other year to me. And then, you know, it's just that success you had uh, bowling in tournaments. And then, uh, you know, so talk about that and how you were able to use your collegiate experience to win that Eagle in 2001. Yeah, the, the great story is that it the, would have been the, the start of the 2000 bowling season, so that would been September of 2000. Um, I just wasn't bowling at all. Um, uh, I just stopped bowling. I was just kind of fried out about it. I was, I was you know, I had other things on my mind and did not bowl at all um, until January of 01. And a couple of guys did some subs on you know, Monday Night League. You know how this goes. All of a sudden, I'm bowling. All of a sudden, three weeks later, Jeff Clark, who's you know an IU guy, can't go to Reno with his team, and they asked me to go, and I said, okay, well, I'll go. And it's February on a Wednesday, 2001, and there are, uh, I bought in 2930 right next to the walkway, which has historically been a great pair at the stadium. And I believe we were using lanes 29 to 36 for the squad. So there's literally eight lanes on. <laughs> in the middle of a Wednesday and uh, shoot five, I think, 50 in doubles and then move over to 29.30 and uh, shoot 7.98 with 10, 10 uh, messengers, head pin messengers across the deck to knock a 10 out. 10 was a tally. Uh, so it was, oh, wow. was very fortunate to, to uh, win it, but uh, you got to have those to win. And uh, was it, what was cool that the, the tie back to college was, you know, a lot of my college guys' friends were there. You know, they got to experience it with me um, while I did it. So um, just having those guys there to experience that moment was really special. Hey, tell us, uh, tell us just a little bit. Then you 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 mentioned before about your you know working that uh, backhaul direct. How did you get so, uh, in, um, involved I went to uh, the PBA uh, with the company and and what? Yeah, you know, I went to work for the PBA uh, after um, school. I decided not to go on tour um, and went to work and um, left the tour in about 2005 and was kind of curious on what I wanted to do. I ended up going back to grad school at IU in Bloomington, Indiana, and was teaching class, was, you know, working, and then was bowling league with the guys. I'd drive up to Indianapolis every Tuesday night and bowled Expo Bowl with Greg and Jim and Jack and Jeff. And uh, Greg Harris had started the backhaul direct uh, a few years earlier, 
and um, approached me about coming to work for him. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what you do. Like, I literally don't even know what a logistics freight brokerage is. I have no clue. I'm a sports marketing major, right? And uh, he kind of talked to me about it and said, look, I really don't care if you know what we do. I can teach you that. I just need you to, you know, to help me run this business. Um, and, you know, he approached me about working. I took the position. Uh, we were 15 people at about $12 million in revenue then. And uh, now we're at 75 people and, you know, going to probably approach, you know, $45 million in revenue this year. So um, I figured out the logistics business. But, again, it goes back to the, the college thing, right? It's, it's the college team that led to that opportunity. So I uh, couldn't be um, more thankful that I ended up there. Yeah, so let's uh, let's head back though. You like you said, you took that job as a lane maintenance director for the PBA. You actually were the one who designed and implemented the the PBA animal patterns that we're all accustomed to now, as they've been tweaked a little bit. But talk about the initial thought when you were going through those and setting those up, and and how you're going to make them very slightly for the players. You know, based on where the guys are going to be going, and the different surfaces, and all the different sorts of you know mm-hmm. variables that come into play when designing a pattern. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I got hired by Kirk Von Kruger out of, you know, however many applicants they had because I was a lane guy. Like, I knew how to do the lanes, and so that was important to them. And ended up you know, working with USBC the first year. They were still really heavily doing the sport bowling. Um, for those PBA fans, we had some pretty disastrous shows the first three of the 2001 season. Um, decided to, I guess, soften them up a little bit after that. Pete Weber shoots 299 on TV in Grand Rapids, and then... Uh, that was the first pattern I actually did for the tour was that one. And then we kind of just kind of messed, messed through it for the rest of the year. Then Mark Bisbing, who was the VP of operations at the time, said, you know, it's really confusing for the customer that's not a uh, hard, you know, a hard bowler. You know, like, what, what are you bowling on? Like, no one can see the oil. No one can figure this out. And so we need something set to find. And he goes, what if, what if we just had five patterns? And I said, yeah, we can do that. And went through the process of figuring out you know, what those patterns would look like and ended up naming them A through E, which I thought was brilliant, but the marketing folks uh, had other ideas and, and named them the Viper, Shark, uh, Scorpion, etc., which was a great move. But how the thought process of it is we wanted initially to have um, one pattern that played out specifically, one pattern that played in specifically, and three patterns that were multi-angles and ended up with uh, the multi-angle patterns being a Viper, Scorpion, Chameleon, a, C, and D in the old days, uh, shark was the inside pattern and a cheetah was the gutter. And we would be able to run those patterns at either 40 microliters, 45 microliters, or 50 microliters, or 55, depending if the surface was really beat up, uh, to account for the, for the lane surface. So there was, there was a, a variance there in the volume in order to get you know, the proper amount of conditioner on the lane. Um, but we didn't tweak the patterns uh, that often when we ran those. You know, it, had, it would take something... Uh, drastic for us to, to make a change to the load structure of one of the five patterns. Um, and so we would tailor them based on the surface or, um, you know, proprietor request or something like that. Uh, and it ended up being something that a lot of people, you know, still bowling on their Viper pattern today in the sport leagues. Yeah, so how much tweaking is there in patterns? Because you hear that all the time. Oh, look, there's five lefties on the show this week, so next week there's going to be zero. I mean, that's not how it yeah. works, obviously, but, but talk about or the stadium. Oh, lefties always kill it at the stadium, and it's because of this and this and the topography and all that. How much of that is true, and how much is just people complaining because we're bowlers? Yeah, 
um, you know, I think you can get into uh, a really lengthy discussion with the boys at Kegel about this, and, and they're going to tell you, and they're right, that the topography of the lane, uh, we know more now about that than we've ever have. Uh, I just saw a, a Weber, a Pete Weber video on their Facebook link showing the same pattern on a on different topography, and one, you know, for a strike, the other one, I think he misses the head pin right. That does play a huge part uh, in it, and um, the one thing I'd stress is that um, we can get to a place in bowling where we can, I call it playing money ball with oil patterns, right? You can get all the data you want, and we have more data now than we ever have. You can tell if the lane's depressed and if it's crowned. You know, USBC has spent a lot of money uh, along with proprietors on getting these lanes leveled for these big tournaments now. Um, and hopefully we're going to be, we're going to see that in the future. We're going to bowl on level lane surfaces. Um, but if they're not level, the only thing you can really do is go out there, throw your ball and see how it works. And I can give you a quick example. Uh, we used to run the cheetah on the tour and in, um, Philadelphia, we ran the cheetah, which was an old wood surface. And, uh, one lefty made the cut, Richie Wolf throwing a vector two off the second board. And the left-handers were mad. Hey, you know, got shut out, et cetera, normal bowler stuff. We're in the exact same pattern three weeks later at Hartford, Windsor, Watch, Connecticut. And you may remember that it was his shot 300 on TV because he was the only right-hander. And there were four lefties, and 17, I believe, out of 32 lefties made the cut on the exact same pattern, but different lane surface. So the lane surface makes a huge, um, it's a huge deal, and you have to account for it uh, when you're designing patterns and, and then, you know, tweaking them. I think it was just a just a couple of years after your uh, work there at the PBA that you got elected to the board of directors at the USBC. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I've, bowling's been really good to me, like like it has for a lot of people. And and just because I don't make my primary profession through bowling anymore, doesn't mean I'm not thankful or passionate about it. And I thought it was time to serve. And ran for election um, in Kansas City in '08, right when I started at Backhall Direct, by the way and was able to secure that uh, nomination from the delegates. Um, you know, I really thought we did some good work, but um, in, in hindsight, looking at back at it, um, you know, I'm glad I left when I did because uh, I want to save my years. Uh, if you don't know, you only get nine years on the board of directors of the USBC, and I was burned up through three of them in my mid-30s. I wanted to keep some for later on when I could gain some more valuable business experience and insight that I could bring uh, to the board. And so I'm glad I left when I did. And uh, I think the USBC, honestly, under under Chad's leadership here, has, uh, has, has done some really good things um, over the last few years. And I would say that whether or not they ever hired me to do lanes. I mean, there's been some, I think, some great things that they've done and I'm excited for, the, for their direction. Yeah, you mentioned that, uh, Nick. So you were just named the uh, the uh, by the USBC as the lane pattern uh, development. That's going to be something that you're going to direct. Um, one of the things that I do a lot of times during this time of year is I have a lot of a lot of folks on to talk about the USBC Open Championships, how to attack the lanes, you know, different ball surfaces and different equipment that they think is going to work. And one of the questions I've been asking a lot of the guests, and and I think everyone has agreed in 100%, no matter which company they were from or what their perspective was was this is a new way of the USBC Open Championships. It's not going to be like the score fest like it was in Reno a few years back. It's going to be more like El Paso in this year. Under your leadership, is that, uh, is that the direction that you think your, things are going to continue and, and what, um, where things are going to go moving forward? Well, I think that's a 
you're the first person to ask me that, and it's not going to be the last person to ask me that. I can tell you that all the lane condition information is going to be released, you know, after the completion of the 2017 championship. And I think at that time you're going to be able to take inventory of, you know, if the patterns are different, you know, or they're the same, or they're different. What I can tell you this year compared to last year is real interesting. If you look at the patterns, they're almost exactly the same, right? They're a little tweaked, not much though, right? They're pretty close. And you notice the scoring pace, especially early in the tournament, was lower. And um, I attribute that to the discussion that the bowling stadium is just a very, very difficult place to carry in. Um, if you bowl there enough, you know that uh, if the launch angle is not right off your hand, you're plaquing a 10 or plaquing a 7 uh, instantly. I just spoke to Matt McNeil about this the other day. So uh, I do think that the South Point plans of being brand new um, – with brand new kickbacks and, and all, and, and by the way, the, you know, the desert, the desert heat and the desert uh, dryness of Vegas, um, that, that should, that should again change the, the carry and change the pace. I've never been to the plaza, but looking forward to um, getting there and, and working on their lanes. We, uh, we actually just got back from there just this past weekend. They're running the mixed nationals tournament there. So my wife, Marsha Bolden, the women's, championship tournament and then we bowled the mixed nationals uh right after that and you're you're absolutely spot on about that and i remember going back talking about the pin carry and that stuff back in las vegas and there were a lot of tournaments whether it was the high roller the mini eliminator those kind of tournaments where bowlers from all over the country would come to vegas and they would just be amazed at their pin carrying how much how many messengers and how the pins would fly across the pin deck way more so in like a higher humidity area that's correct especially for a midwest boy like me you know, bowling uh, at Woodland Bowl in, in July with humidity off the chart, those pins are made of wood. Uh, <laughs> and, that affects, <laughs> and that affects the carry, um, especially with an older bowling center that's got the wood kickback inserts. Uh, these things swell. They, they, you know, they shrink depending on the temperature. You're talking about a climate-controlled bowling, let's think about it, bowling plaza and uh, in Las Vegas. And the carry should be very good. And that is... It's why scores. Um, it's not just you know. There's nothing they're doing illegally in Vegas. If you got to bowl in the old Chovo lane, 71 to 106, um, I would argue that there was no better carrying lanes I've ever seen in my life than those 36 lanes on the pavilion side. The pins just they wouldn't stand up. So that that is something to take into effect when you're talking about oil patterns and scoring paces. But you know, the pin carry plays a huge a huge uh, um, uh, important factor in this. Hey, hey! Final, uh, final comment or question I have for you, and and thanks for, for definitely for your time and and uh, taking on this tremendous. I know it's a big responsibility. You're kind of willing to take on your shoulders and uh, direct this development of the lane patterns and stuff like that. We've got the junior gold. A lot of great young players. Uh, they're going to be coming to your area uh, here next month, and it's uh, going to be the record entries the USBC is getting. Going to be 3,600 some kids or so. What kind of advice? Would you have for them? I know they're going to be, you know, facing some pretty challenging lane conditions. What, what kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, as someone who lives here in Indianapolis, I'm very proud to live here. We have um, we have some fantastic bowling centers, and, and the, the, the parents and the kids when they come into our centers this time, um, they're going to see um, what bowling centers should look like. Uh, I believe Royal Penn Leisure Center spent I don't know what the neighborhood seven eight million dollars. Um, remodeling all of their centers. Um, every center that the kids are bowling in this year got some sort of an upgrade or remodel. 
And so they're going to be really amazed with what a very nice, I'm not talking a family entertainment center, I'm talking a bowling center looks like. Uh, hopefully they'll, they'll enjoy their experience. And um, with the new um, you know, rules with the junior gold, with the patterns not being released, this is going to be something that is foreign to um, kids that are 15 years old or, or 20 years old. See, we bowled in the old days, you know, we laced them up, got the ball and threw it, and figured out what the pattern was, right? Um, for the kids, all they know is that they're going to get the graph. Uh, all these parents know is that they're going to get the graph, and that's changing this year. So I think that for them, if I was a competitor, you know, those, those four practice sessions on the fresh tournament conditions they're going to bowl on are vital. Um, they have a limited number of bowling balls. So they're going to have to use their smarts about their equipment. They're going to have to use their talent with their releases and hand position changes because um, they don't know what the conditions are. And their arsenal better be matched up to provide a balance, you know, across the spectrum of whatever they may encounter. So um, I think it's going to be a real um, unique learning opportunity for both the parents and the kids this this first year with the patterns not being released. Before the tournament, they'll be released after the tournament. Well, and that's a great direction. That I mean, we're, we're talking about the USBC, you know, USBC Open Championships and Junior Gold. I mean, they should be that way. It should be the same. It shouldn't be. Well, we're going to release it for the adults, but not release it for the kids, um, because that would be kind of. Right. I mean, that that would be weird and kind of a double standard. And then the other part is you're you're training the young adults to, like you said, to read their ball roll and then know what they need to make their adjustments. Because there's how many times. I know I've done it where you think, okay, well, this is this, like you said, talking earlier about some of the animal patterns. You're like, well, I know I can't be playing cheat out here or here or there. Right. And you go in with that preconceived notion. So to not know, frankly, it may help some people out to not know and just watch their ball and how it rolls. So, um, so I don't know, you, you know what your thoughts are on that. And, and, you know, it seems like sometimes people get away from doing that as opposed to being set in their ways. You're exactly right. And I think that there's a, there's a portion of the population that, is, that will – see this as not being transparent. I tend to disagree with that. I think the process is transparent. You know, uh, whether it's uh, whoever's running the machines, it's highly skilled, highly qualified Kegel techs that are making sure these lanes are oiled the same every single time. They're doing volume checks, taking tapes, just not seeing the two-to-twos, right? So I, I don't buy the notion that because we're not showing the pattern data that somehow there's something... I don't know, mischievous going on or that somebody always knows. I, I just got done only lanes in Wichita at the Collegiate National Championship, which, by the way, for the last three years, no one besides myself, Chad Murphy, and Gary Brown have known the patterns at all until the tournament was over. And the, the new Kegel Flex machines have, uh, I think, 10 different walkout codes. I mean, these are sophisticated computer uh, pieces of computer equipment. Uh, where you're locking out people, there's passcodes. No one can just go in the back, turn the machine on, and look at the pattern. It doesn't happen. So I think we have to get past the fact that, um, especially from some older folks that maybe experienced, you know, something on the tour back in the 70s or 80s that they weren't fond on. You know, this is 2016. We can be transparent with the process of how we oil the lanes, but still uh, put a premium on the bowler learning how to read the lane without the chart. And uh, I'm really excited about this direction. And I think as long as we uh, can execute it, uh, which we will uh, on site, um, I, I think it's going to start to, to put more focus on the, the player and the hand positions and the game more than this drilling um, 12 balls to go attack it. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's what competitive bowling needs. 
Awesome. So, Nick, I want to thank you for taking some time. Like Steve said, a uh, very busy guy, but uh, appreciate all your thoughts on everything and all the best of luck uh, in your new position with USBC and uh, and helping direct that, uh, the lean to pattern development and everything else that you got going on there. Sounds like you're a pretty busy guy. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you for uh, doing this uh, the show and uh, doing all the great positive things and, and competitive bowling. We need it and continue to do it. Thank you.